Thank you for joining us today. We're excited about what God's going to continue to say to us. We've been working through this series called Believe for It. Actually, what happens in prayer and how do we align ourselves to what God wants to teach us about prayer. A lot of times prayer is just our shopping list. We just kind of give God the, the list and just kind of hope he looks at it somehow. Uh, and we're learning how there's different ways that we can pray and different ways that God answers. I heard this this morning. It was huge for me. When we release our fear of scarcity, it always brings abundance. Let that resonate in your mind for a second. When we release our fear of scarcity, it always brings abundance. Let's pray and then we'll walk through what we want to learn about today. God, may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for the team that led us in worship. We're excited as we get to open up your word to hear the truths that you have for us. Truths that will change us, truths that will make us understand more and more and more about you. We love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. There's a a word that appears in the Bible, and it probably appears 400 different ways in the Bible, and the word is door. There's a lot of metaphors that describe doors. There's important things in our lives. Sometimes God opens a door. Sometimes God shuts a door. Doors have great spiritual significance. I want to begin by first pointing out that you have doors all over in your life. You might not even realize how many doors that you have in your home. Think about it for a second. Start counting the doors that you have. You got a ton of doors. Doors can have great spiritual significance in your life. A door can be an entrance or an exit. It can be a a bridge to something great or it can be a barrier. A door can say welcome or a door can say you're not welcome. It can represent acceptance or it can represent rejection. Doors can keep bugs out. Doors can keep you warm or cool. A door can protect you. A door can provide access. In the, in the Bible, a door can be the entrance door of salvation or the passage door of discipleship or the service door of ministry or the outside door to the mission in your life. The Bible itself is called a door. In Revelations 3, 7, and 8, it'll be on the screen behind me, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, There are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. When what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. We'd call that the door of opportunity. And I love what God says here. I know you don't have it all together. I don't, I know that you're not perfect. He says, I've got this key of David. That's how that, that verse started, which is 
in reference to Isaiah 22, verse 22, which says, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. So let's unpack some doors that we have in our life, okay? So we'll, we'll unpack. It's a bunch of different uh, doors that we're going to open. Here's the very first one. Every door that you walk through is a decision. In the Bible, doors are used as metaphors to choices that we make every day. Am I going to walk through this door or am I not? And you learn, all of us learn pretty early in life, that there are some doors that we shouldn't walk through. There are some doors that aren't worth walking through. But every time you see a door, you're faced with a decision. Will I go through it or not? Uh, here's the second thing about doors from, from the Bible. It says this, my destiny, my future. So always when you see destiny, go, my future will be shaped by the doors I walk past and by which doors I walk through. We know this. This is not anything new. We, we make choices every day. We make decisions. And they affect our future. The tough part is always knowing what is the right door because every time you walk through a door, there's always cost. Cost of your time and money. How many of us, and I don't need to see a raised hands here, how many of us have ever walked through a door you thought was the right door and it was the wrong door? Have you noticed that when you walk through that door, it's not always easy to get back on the right path. There's some doors that you've walked through in life that it's taken you years and years to get back on track. You have to have what the Bible calls discernment, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. The more discerning you are, the more wise you'll be, the better decisions you're going to make in life. We know that. That's, that's common knowledge. The Bible says this in Deuteronomy 30, verse 15, which is a great verse. God's saying, see, look, pay attention. I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. So here's the problem. Sometimes you can't see what's behind the door. So how do you make those decisions? You make those with discernment. So let's talk about that for a second. Here's the third thing. A door may be this. It may be an opportunity from God. God says, I'm going to give you a wide open door. And if you walk through it at the right time, in the right way, and you do the right thing, it's going to be amazing for your life. 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9 says this. I'll stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, verse 9 Because a great door for effective work has opened to me there. And there are many who oppose me. That's a tough little word that Paul threw in there. See, opportunity plus opposition always equals God's will. Let me say that again. Opportunity plus opposition always equals God's will. When God has a door that he opens for you, it does not mean that it's going to be a problem-free door. We're going to have to grow in character. You'll never have an opportunity that's given by God that is not opposed by evil. And so you should expect opposition even when you know I'm doing the right thing. But a door can also be a distraction from others. 
It looks like a good opportunity. You walk through that door, but it actually ends up being a distraction. It keeps you from doing what God wants you to do. That's why you need discernment, because every door is not an opportunity from God. God has a wonderful plan for your life. But guess what? Everybody else does too. And they're going to offer you all kinds of opportunities that sound good on how you could use your time, your money, your energy. And they're not good. They're distractions. When I see an open door, it doesn't mean that it's always from God. It doesn't mean it's my purpose. It doesn't mean it's my dream. It might just be a door that's open. A good example of this, and let me talk to you for a few minutes about this. A good example of this is in Nehemiah. In the Old Testament, the Jews were taken captive. Nehemiah rises up to the top in leadership. Nehemiah is sad because he sees his hometown, his country is devastated. They're decimated, they're destroyed. All the walls around his hometown, Jerusalem, have been torn down. And he's worried because the people are vulnerable. He starts praying to God to open the door for him to do something about a situation that he sees is not good. He starts thinking through a plan. He fasts for it. He prays about it. And then he waits. One day the king comes and Nehemiah is is his chief servant. And the king comes and says to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, you're kind of looking down today. And King Artaxerxes says this, Nehemiah, what would you like me to do for you? Friends, this is an enormous open door. Nehemiah has been praying for it, and he says, well, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to let me go back there. I'd like, I'd let you, I'd, I'd like you to let me rebuild the city. What do you do when you're waiting on God? I mean, you've prayed. What do you do while you're waiting on God? Well, friends, you plan. So that when the door opens, you know exactly what to say. If tomorrow somebody walked up, uh, uh, up to you out of the blue and said, God's leading me to help you out. What do you want me to do with, with the resources I have? How can I help you out? Would you be able to give them a plan? You see, while you're waiting, you don't just sit around doing nothing. You do the planning. You wait on God for his timing. That's what happened to Nehemiah. Would you be willing? Would you be ready to do that? See, a lot of people think this, that faith means if God doesn't open a door, I just sit around and wait. Friends, that's called laziness. While you're waiting, God is still working. And while God is working to get all things in place for you, you need to be planning. Now the king lets Nehemiah go back. It's a cool story. But even when he goes back, not everybody wanted the wall to be rebuilt. There were enemies, and so people did everything they could to discourage Nehemiah from completing his big building project. And they start off simply by just attacking him. You know, a few little criticisms here and there, and then they move from criticism to ridicule. Then they try to put some barriers in his place. At one point, they even threaten him. They intimidate him. None of this works. Nehemiah just keeps on working. He's totally focused. And so they finally decide this. Okay, we're going to just, if we can't get him to stop, we're just going to get him to delay it. And friends, there's some people in your life 
who they can't get you to stop doing God's will, they're just going to work hard to delay it. Discussion is often a delay tech technique. Nehemiah 6.3 says this, So I sent messengers to, the, to them with this reply, Friends, I'm carrying on a great project. I can't come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? For some of you today, you need to say to your friends, why should I stop doing what I'm doing? I know this is what God wants me to do. Why should I come home and discuss it? It may be an opportunity, but it also can be a distraction. Here's the third thing about doors is they also could be a trap from Satan. You might remember in certain homes that you'd have a trap door. There's many trap doors in this life. Many of us have fallen into them. Matthew 16:23 says this, Jesus turned to me and said to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns." Anytime I look at my future from a human viewpoint instead of God's, that's a trap. If an open door is truly from God, here's the fourth thing. It will not contradict what God has already said in His Word. There's a lot of things that God says in His words. Don't do this, do this. God will never tell you to do something different than what's in His Word. If a door tells you to do something different, it's not a door from God. Let me say this. In your life, you might feel like it's not going anywhere right now. And you feel pretty dissatisfied with it. And it's gotten worse and worse and worse. And so you're trying to look for that trap door to get out. An open door never will contradict what God has already said. In life, the grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is always greener when you water it. And if you spent as much time cultivating whatever that is in your life, your marriage, your relationship, your job, as you do complaining about it, your life would be different. It's easier to act your way into feelings than to feel your way into action. If you wait for feelings to come, you're never going to start loving. Feelings always follow actions. It's never the reverse. If you start acting loving, you'll feel loving, and it'll come back to you. So act your way into feeling. In Matthew 24, 35, Jesus says this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, who I am, will never pass. If this was true a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, it would be true today, and it will be true a thousand years from today. Here's the fifth thing. Sometimes God shuts a door for your protection. You think it's a bad thing that you lost your job? You think it's a bad thing that something went sideways? God shuts the door sometimes for your own protection. In Genesis 7.16, it said this. There's five powerful words. Then God shut the door. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about Noah and the ark. Once Noah's in the ark, and Noah had done everything that God had wanted him to do, when he got his family, the animals in there, it says in Scripture that God shut the door. And friends, when God shuts the door, no one's going to open it. 
And when God opens the door for you, no one can shut it. Why did God shut the door for Noah? To protect him from all the rain and the storm. And sometimes, friends, that happens in your own life. It doesn't feel good, but it's for your own protection. You might have gotten fired, but you don't know why you got fired, and it doesn't make sense, but God has a bigger plan. Sometimes God removes a a harmful person from your life for your protection. Don't run after them. Don't do it. God has shut the door. Here's the sixth thing. God will open doors if I open doors for others. This is a golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. God wants us all to learn to be givers. He wants us to learn to be generous. The Bible says this in Proverbs 11:25, a generous person will always prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Did you know that there are more promises in the Bible about generosity than any other subject? Now listen, I'm not talking about giving money. I'm not talking about tithing. I'm talking about just being generous all the time with people, with everything you have. In Christianity, we call that hospitality. Christ followers are to be known by their hospitality. Hospitality simply means that I open doors to other people. Why does God make generosity such a big deal? I mean, there's so many promises that God says he will bless you if you bless others than any other subject in the Bible. Why? Because God is a generous God. God is a giver. God so loved the world that he gave. It's an evidence of love. Everything we have in life is due to God's generosity. You and I are made in God's image. So God wants you to learn how to grow up and be like him. He wants people to look at you and me and say this, man, Matt is generous or she is so generous. They know how to make people feel welcome. They're hospitable. God says if you open doors for others, that God will open doors for you. In Job 31 verse 32, Job says this, No stranger had to spend the night in the street, for my door was always open to the traveler. I want to remind you that both before and after Job went through all those tough things that we can remember, Job was the wealthiest man in the world. I don't think that was by accident that he was the wealthiest man in the world. Friends, my life has been so blessed because people have opened doors for me. God wants you to open doors for others. The more doors that you open, the more God will open doors for you. Here's the final one. Sometimes God cracks open a door just enough to give me a glimpse of my future long before I'm ready to walk through it. Why does God do that? Why does God let us just see a little picture to inspire me to grow? We're not quite ready to do what God wants, but he wants to show you what he's going to do to take you to get inspired and to get you committed. You need to be like Nehemiah who says, I'm ready, God, use me. God has a purpose, a destiny for your life. By the way, no one can destroy that destiny, that purpose, except you. God won't. The devil can't. Other people can't. The only person who can destroy your future is, because, is you because of the wrong choices you make. God gives you. 
He's not going to force you. He's not going to force His will on you. He's not going to force you to enjoy what He's planned for your life. You can choose to ruin your life. You can choose to waste your life. God says this, come back to me and we'll get you started on on it. Sometimes God cracks the door open just enough and we see it and we go like this, wow, God, this is amazing. And we start to run really fast. When God gives you a glimpse of it, God never gives it to you all at once. God isn't going to give you a map that shows you from the beginning of your life to the end of your life. Why? Because it'll scare you to death. Because you and I will go like this. Wow, God really wants to do that with me? It'll intimidate you. He doesn't want you to be afraid. He wants to keep you close and dependent on Him. So He gives you one part at a time. The other thing is that God wants to keep you growing. He knows where he's going to take you. But you're not ready for it. You're not mature enough to handle it. Let's be honest. Right now, most of us are too selfish. God wants us to learn about other people. And once we start opening the doors for other people, God goes, all right, I'll give you the next door. Habakkuk 2.3 says this, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not be proven false. Though it lingers... Wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. A lot of times God opens that door just a little bit and guess what we do? We go, here we go, and we start to run. We don't do it with God. We run out. We try to accomplish it all in our own strength. Then we come crawling back to God saying, oh God, I'm so sorry I let you down. And you start to go like this. Well, maybe that vision wasn't from God. Maybe that dream I had wasn't really what God wanted. And God goes, no, I just gave you a little peace. I just gave you a little taste. You just didn't wait for me. A vision for your life always has three parts. The first part is God going, here's what I want to do with your life. And you get a little glimpse of that. And the second part is here's how I'm going to fulfill it. And it's usually the exact opposite to how you think you should fill it. And then the third part is timing. When you're waiting, God is still working. When you're waiting, you need to be preparing. Well, let me give you three things before we walk into communion. Here's three things that you need when you start to discover a vision for your life. The very first one, we need to learn discernment to know which doors to walk through. This is my prayer for you, friends, at daybreak. Philippians 1, 9, and 10. That your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight so that you can discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Here's the second thing when you start to discover your vision or what God's calling you to. You need to learn courage to walk through those doors. You may know the right thing to do, but you're still scared spitless to do it. You don't have the faith to actually walk in that step. It's just not enough to do it or to know it. You have to have the courage to actually do it. See, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing the right thing even when you're scared. Friends, it takes courage to ask someone for forgiveness. 
It takes courage to offer forgiveness to somebody, to reconcile with somebody. In 1 Chronicles 28, verse 20, David said this to his son Solomon, Be strong and courageous. Solomon, do the work. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. If God is in it, he does not sponsor flops. Just have the courage to walk through the right door. Friends, every decision that I've made in life, major decision that I've made, I've been scared to do it. I just did it because I won't let fear dominate my life. So I constantly move against my fears. I do the things that I fear the most. What is it that you're afraid to do? Matt, I just don't feel peace about it. Maybe you'll never do anything if you wait for peace. Most people do nothing because they never feel peace about going through that door. Let me explain something to you. This is matology. Don't put it in your notes. You only get the peace that surpasses all understanding after you go through that door with obedience. Once you're scared to death and you go through it, then God gives you the peace. You're not supposed to feel peace on this side of the door. In fact, if God has asked you to do something that it's going to be big, it's probably going to scare you. That's a test. Will you trust me, God's saying? Will you be courageous? Will you walk through that door even though you're not at peace? Then you walk through the door and you come out the other side and guess what comes? Peace. Don't expect peace to come before you obey. If it's a big deal in your life, the peace comes always afterwards. That's courage. And here's the third one. Learn how to open doors for other people. You can become a pro at opening doors. You say, I don't even have many doors open for me. Start opening doors. Be nice to other people. Show hospitality. Open up your relationship pool. First Peter 4.9 says this, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So whose door do you need to open? Martin Luther King said this, powerful words, Not everybody will be famous, but everyone can be great. May that be the mark of us here at Daybreak. Let's pray. Lord, we're excited that we got to hear your words. If I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. If you used me in a small way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. We love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Cool thing with this whole talk about doors is Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And today we're, we're holding the communion elements, which really is the door for us. Now, communion is going to be a little bit different today. You're, you're going to have a few options here today. Darren and the team is going to lead us in some worship. I I think they have three songs. You can choose to take communion by yourself. And that's an okay thing. You can choose to take communion with somebody. You can go to somebody and go, brother or sister, I'd love to have communion with you. 
And so the next three songs in worship, you're going to have the opportunity to take communion in your own time. Now, anytime we take communion, there's simple rules. The, the simplest rule is you just have to have a relationship with Jesus. The beauty is none of us had to bring elements. Some of us didn't bring a big cup or a small cup or we forgot the cup. It's provided for us. That's the beauty of the Lord's table. Everybody's welcome at the Lord's table. Doesn't mean that we have to have it all figured out. Doesn't mean we have to be perfect. It doesn't mean that we came and we are pure today as we walked into the church. Some of us had a rough morning. And, and so that's the beauty of communion. It, it centers us. But communion is never meant to be all by ourselves. That's why we do it in the church. And, and Paul says in his writings in Corinthians that anytime we take communion, we actually say to one another, he's alive and he's not dead. And what a great reminder for us that we serve a God who is alive. And so I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to run off to, to Renfrew. And in these three songs of worship, at some moment you might go, I'm ready to take communion. Or you might go, you know what, I, I want to reconcile my relationship with somebody. This would be a great place to do it. Or, you know what, I just want somebody to pray for me. And so I'm going to go up to somebody and go, let's take communion together and I'd actually like you to pray for me. Uh, and here's my prayer request. Uh, and so we're going to allow this space to be free. You don't have to be nervous. You don't have to take it with somebody. But if God's stirring in your heart, you should go do, you should go take it with somebody. Then this is a great opportunity for you. Let me pray for you. God, how cool to think that we get to take communion together. We proclaim together you're a God that is not dead. He's alive. And we remember the cup that was your body broken, the human body that was broken on behalf of us, the sacrifice. And we're reminded of the, the, the juice, the blood that was shed for, for us on our behalf so that we could have a new covenant come in. In these next few minutes, make this place incredibly holy. Allow the voice that, that distracts us to be so far gone. And may we be a community. We love and adore you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.